0: Welcome to Credit Union Conversations podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping
1: credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your
0: operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Ritter Credit Union Conversations. I am the CEO of MBFS and New Direction Lending, and we're so happy that our listenership continues to grow each month. We are now at over 1,500 downloads and listens a month and we love it and we appreciate it. Make sure to subscribe and press that subscribe button on your favorite audio platform. So happy that we're connecting with with the community And if you're a listener and not connected to the credit union community, you probably should get some new hobbies because this would be very, very boring for you. So our guest this time, uh, we have a very special guest. NCUA Vice Chair Kyle Houtman is joining me today. Thank you for joining us. How's your day going?
1: Pretty well, sir. How are you?
0: Uh, Doing great. Doing great. So, uh, I'm really appreciative that we were able to connect and get you on and get everything worked out. And, you know, I've gotten to listen to you at a few different conferences. Uh, You know, we've kind of met a couple times in passing there. But for our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background. Give us your origin story and uh, how you got into working with credit unions for the NCUA.
1: Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief and not too boring. I've been on the board since December of 2020, just before Christmas 2020, so coming up on two years now. I was most immediately working in the United States Senate um, on the the committee that has jurisdiction over NCUA, Senate Banking Committee. My boss, Senator Cotton from Arkansas, was a chair of one of the subcommittees and obviously a voting member of the full banking committee. And I'm kind of a career switcher. I was a Wall Street guy uh, for a long time, you know, picture all those screens in front of you, you know, and. I was trading uh, fixed income instruments, short end, repo. I was in Tokyo for a bunch of years, uh, and I was with Lehman Brothers when they fell apart in 2008, and that kind of re-sparked my interest in public policy. I mean, i you know, had a political science undergrad and always been interested in policy, but you know, working at Lehman and seeing it crash, and that's, you know, is the fault of Lehman's management, but public policy had a significant impact On life those dying days if you remember Lehman couldn't file for bankruptcy and it was sort of a game of chicken of whether or not they would let Lehman go under even though our friends at Bear Stern had a quasi bailout a few months earlier and you know I don't think anybody deserves a bailout but there were some things that were different back then right Uh, the crisis was made worse because there was no restructuring option in bankruptcy plus uh, Lehman at the time could not access the you know discount window Anyway, fast forward to 2011. I left Tokyo, moved to Boston to work for Mitt Romney's presidential campaign. And as you may remember, he won the primary, which he'd lost in 08 to John McCain, uh, and but obviously lost the general election to Barack Obama. And my one-year experiment in, you know, doing what you love in politics and policy, um, have been enjoyable. And then I moved down to D.C. Uh, not a member of the triumphant Romney administration, but rather as an unemployed person looking for work. And long story short, wound up in the Senate and then uh, have been here for a while. And it's been um, a great time. And I was a primary conduit with Center Cotton for the Cornerstone League. So there were, you know, three states in the Cornerstone League uh, at the time yeah, Texas, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Only one of those six centers was on the banking committee. So spent a lot of time dealing with uh, credit unions. And of course, some of the regular banking issues are, are, are very similar to that of credit unions.
0: You must love listening or watching the movies about the great recession and the collapse and all the chaos and all the books at the time where you can give a uh, play by play whether up oh, you can say yeah oh, that was true that wasn't uh so yeah but you must be a good conversation for uh sitting around and watching those movies so
1: yeah absolutely now it's now been uh just last week was September fifteenth, and that was the day Lehman fell apart. It was a Monday in two thousand eight. So, what's that been now? Fourteen years. Yes. And uh, since Lehman Brothers was front page news, and all these people in the world knew about Lehman, all of a sudden that hadn't before that. But uh, yes, interesting times.
0: And you know, when when I when I have a show, somebody on the show, I always like to Google them up, and see what's going on, see the perspective. Uh, you know, we're connected on LinkedIn. And when I look at your LinkedIn profile, there's one thing that jumps out at me. And that is, in your swearing-in ceremony, your New England Patriots face mask. So I'm guessing you got to celebrate a lot of Super Bowls uh, over the past decade. And uh, once you said uh, Massachusetts, I'm figuring out how you got the connection with the Patriots. So...
1: Yeah, I'm from Maine originally, actually. Uh, oh, okay. But that's part from of New England. And yeah, moved to Boston. That's because where Romney's campaign was. As you know, people who run for president generally don't put their campaign in D.C. They put wherever they were governor or senator or what have you. You know, uh, Obama's was Chicago and um, Hillary Clinton's was in New York City. But yeah, from Maine originally, there's a beautiful place called Acadia National Park. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where I'm from, Bar Harbor, Maine, because my father was an employee of the National Park Service. That's why I lived up there.
0: Oh, what a, what a beautiful place and my favorite place to go to vacation. So uh, I could w- w- when we see each other next time in person, I could talk for hours about all my time. Uh, I encourage your like listeners to,
1: to go there. up there. It's a absolutely wonderful place, especially for the 120 degrees, you know, 120 days a year, maybe, where it does not go freezing at night. But uh, yeah. I will tell you, in terms of football, man, I know nobody has any sympathy for us, but it is difficult to adjust to the Patriots being a middling team. You know, and gosh, I hope they make the playoffs. You know, they went 20 straight years with 10 wins or more. And I know nobody has any sympathy, but uh, it, it is an adjustment.
0: I have a feeling that they will be just fine in, uh, in correcting the course. So I I, I think you're in uh, good hands uh, as long with the, with the rest of your uh, Boston team. So I wanted to one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the show is that I've been involved in the credit union space about 20 years now, and and I started out at a credit union in Central Pennsylvania, Members First, a big credit union, and very involved in the credit union community. Our CEO sent us to a lot of conferences. And back then, you know, I've been going to the NICUSO conferences over 15 years. I know you've been to a few NICUSO events as well. And back then, credit unions, when they wanted to collaborate, when they wanted to do something new, when they wanted a new product, generally you'd get a couple CEOs, usually that was was in pretty close proximity to each other and they'd get together and form a company. You know, sometimes they'd hire an outsider to help. Sometimes they'd elevate somebody internally. And, and it was really building these operations, giving each other access to new products and opportunities, but it was really what I, what I'll call a closed environment. Now, those days are gone. You know, when when I go to conferences You're talking about very sophisticated outsiders working with credit unions uh, and and expanding and doing things in a manner that even five, seven, ten years ago when I first got into CUSOs, I never imagined. Tell me a little bit about your impressions and, and, and outlook on the credit unions working with fintechs Uh, particularly from the NCUA perspective, getting into a lot of new things and and sources.
1: Yeah, I think we don't want to do anything that pushes talent and ideas away from the credit union space. And you can say credit unions are a good market, and I think they are, and I consider part of my job lately kind of being a pied piper um, to make people think of credit unions because 140 million Americans is a lot, the two trillion in assets, that's a lot of money. Two trillion is also just one division of JP Morgan. So we can't do anything that pushes ideas and partnerships and FinTechs or whomever away from credit unions, right? They've got to be, they cannot be a high maintenance thing to deal with. And obviously there's differences dealing with credit unions and other types of financial institutions, we know this. But given that it's a smaller corner of the financial system, NCUA itself, my employer is sometimes forgotten about when it, you know, compared to the fed and the sec, et cetera. So I I just big picture here. I think it's very important that we not do anything that would preclude a credit union from doing something that they think is good for their members, something that is better, faster, cheaper, more secure, what have you. And, the number one risk that I think we need to think about is not short-term failures because those are going to happen with experimentation. My main thing is I don't want to see credit unions become Blockbuster Video because their regulator wouldn't let them compete.
0: That's a great point in outlook. and outlook, and it has to truly be a balancing act because you're really talking about you know the the federally insured, federally in- regulated institution. Now, in some cases, partnering with venture capital in these different initiatives and pushing out products, Um, and the risk appetite for venture capital is very different, uh, needless to say, than your typical credit union board member. But also the understanding of the universe under venture capital and fintech, where they have seen all this big universe And and it must be challenging to to kind of have that right balance in education and make sure the credit unions understand what they're getting into, but give them the opportunity to keep going and growing ahead. So so yeah, that that give me what what are your thoughts on credit unions when when they start to align themselves in the CUSOs and fintechs that are more of that venture capital money which has that different perspective in life and risk
1: yeah it sure does i mean i'd put it this way isn't the scenario you're talking about which has its challenges isn't that better than no venture capitalist wanting to do anything or involving credit unions that's a better problem to have absolutely if, if a lot of smart people who are doing new things You know, if they said, oh, no, if I see the word credit union, I'm not going to invest in it. You know, Um, that's a world we don't want to be in. So the challenges that you're talking about, I think we agree are probably I'd rather have those challenges than have Silicon Valley either not know about credit unions or know about them and want nothing to do with them. That's a you know, if that unfortunate scenario happened, then the odds of becoming blockbuster video or, you know, print newspapers uh, go up dramatically. So I just want to say that at the outset. But, you know, I think we as an agency have to have uh, a different view on risk. Um, I'm a fiduciary of our $22 billion share insurance fund. So that's first and foremost, right? That's my number one job. But I also know, you know, if, if the industry, traditional finance, slowly gets wiped out, that that's a risk too. And you're going to lose your your best talent your younger more savvy members etc that's a risk and so we as an agency need to realize that you know experiments are going to happen an experiment the word experiment means you don't know what the outcome is there's going to be failures there's either going to be you know people you do business with that blow up you know and that's on the credit even their due diligence is their responsibility Or maybe things that just aren't you know the juice isn't worth the squeeze you know for every hundred dollars you threw at a project you only got 40 back right just typical business issues right or maybe it works later but not now that the risk you know we can argue whether we should turn the Titanic left or turn it right but we know going straight at the iceberg is a bad idea and we as an agency need to understand risk I think in a longer term sense you know as you I always say, you know, there were zero plane crashes before we had planes. (laughs) Absolutely. So you could get rid of all plane crashes tomorrow, just get rid of all air travel. Right. But we don't want to do that. So I think that's, that's sort of how I look at it. We need to think about a longer term of risk um, and know there's going to be hiccups and it, and a, you know, if they do their due diligence and it just doesn't work out, well, that's, that's the way the, the world works. And, We shouldn't come down hard on an examiner to say, oh, what happened to that partnership? Did you approve that? No, I mean, we we shouldn't be doing mother may I, right? The credit union management is responsible for what they do, you know?
0: Yes, I I see the FinTech partnerships as something that can really vault the small and mid-sized credit unions if they take advantage of that. But so many people are worried about, like you said, they're not we're into risk management, they're into risk elimination. And I sometimes see it with, uh, you know, my area expertise is commercial lending. I sometimes see that where credit unions will manage to a zero risk, and sometimes they let the small businesses relationships go, Because those loans generally have a little bit more risk, and they would rather have zero zero, uh, problems than helping out hundreds of businesses in their community where they might have some and still get a pretty good return. So, yeah, I'm glad to hear that that you're saying that, where credit unions can focus as a totality and, and focus on that management and risk and growing and not simply... Uh, you know, so, sometimes they use to me. They use the NCUA boogeyman. Well, would, would the NCUA like this? Well, the NCUA wants you to be healthy and profitable, and if you're not partnering with people to grow your membership, being relevant, uh, they have other issues on their hands. So, I, 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 I
1: mean, people do use it uh, as a boogeyman, and, and sometimes I understand that. Right? Uh, there's a you know a fintech knocking down your door or whatever. We all know that sometimes blaming government, blaming Washington, uh, sometimes it's just an excuse to end that sales call and get them out of your face, and I completely understand that. But it's uh, our job at NCUA to make sure that people aren't truly turning down things that they think best because, because of NCUA. If they truly think it is better, faster, cheaper, and more secure, what have you, right? Like you said, zero risk is actually super risky, right? You'd only buy treasuries or only do the absolute best. And then what would happen to your credit union? It would be gone entirely because that's not a sustainable model. I always compare it to, you know, the stock market versus a savings account or putting it into, you know, cash in a safe. Which one of those is riskier? Well, for a lot of us, our big risk is our long-term financial security. That's the risk we have to worry about, right? Retirement you know, children, college, what have you. So if I had put all my money into a savings account, I would be putting myself and my family at dramatically higher risk. I wouldn't have any day-to-day volatility. I wouldn't have that kind of risk, but I would be putting myself and my family at much longer term financial risk. It would be much higher risk to put it in a savings account rather than a stock market where yes, we have to deal with some really dramatic ups and downs, but I need, that volatility to get where I have to go. It is lower risk for me to be in an index fund than it is to put my money in a savings account. If we're talking about alleviating my long-term risk, right? That's the meteor heading at the industry. So, uh, excuse the tortured analogy there, but I think I, th- I think you're picking up what I'm putting down.
0: Absolutely, and, and I'm really glad the NCUA is establishing uh, the position and getting that moving to for that to be that liaison between the fintechs and the credit unions and the NCUA to make a more prosperous industry in the long run. So So I wanted to move along uh, to to something that uh, I, I know you have a lot of interest in, and that's talking about cryptocurrencies, digital technologies, blockchains, and credit unions. So recently, the NCUA published a letter that 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 really gave you know subject to your traditional safety soundness and whatever uh, other thing auditors and legal people put in there subject to all that safety and soundness f- to begin to work with cryptocurrencies blockchains and credit unions to to partner with these services G- give me your thoughts on the the blockchain technology and other digital assets and credit unions, and, and and where you think that healthy balance is, and how it could, how what what the healthy strike is with uh, credit unions and uh, this industry.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. We put out a couple pieces of guidance, you know, regarding uh, blockchain, crypto, um, and it's something I'm quite proud of. Uh, you know, you mentioned the term fintech, obviously means financial technology. Well, that's what crypto is. And if we back up a second for people who just sort of hear these words and maybe aren't that familiar, and and I don't consider myself the world's foremost expert either, but in the wake of the financial crisis in 2008, uh, Bitcoin was created. And the whole point was that anybody in the world with an internet connection can send money to anybody else with an internet connection without a single intermediary. It's referred to as trustless, right? You don't have to trust a bank, you don't have to trust uh, Visa or anything else. Anybody can send anybody else money involving no other parties. Uh, It's quite remarkable. And in order to do that, they created a thing called blockchain. That's the way it's done. It's an unhackable database, right? I think of blockchain as just kind of like a shared Google document, you know, like a shared spreadsheet, a shared ledger, except every change is recorded forever. It cannot be, and we don't rely on, they can't be edited uh, permanently. Uh, they can't be changed. You can only build on top of what was already there, right? And unlike a Google Doc, we don't have to rely on Google because if Google is out of business, you're going to lose that. It's a shared doc that's transparency. So it's very attractive if you need to know information. If you want it transparent, um, you don't want to have to rely on other parties. And the same way in science, how they often looking for thing A, but while doing their experiments, they discover thing B. That's kind of what happened, in my opinion, what trying to send money without using a financial system and not trusting governments, they wound up discovering this thing called blockchain. And cause that's the only way Bitcoin works. It now has a number of other use cases. Now, if you're somebody out there that thinks this is all a fad, no worries, just fast forward through this part of it and you don't have to be concerned. But if you do think it's game changing, it's important that the industry be able to take advantage of it because other parts of the financial services world are, and other parts of this, of the globe are going to and the may guidance that you may be referencing was quite broad it wasn't about use cases basically just said there's this thing out there called blockchain uh often referred to as distributed ledger uh they're not synonyms but they're awfully close distributed ledger technology the point is uh the word distributed means that a copy of the ledger is on various computers meaning it's not centralized you can't hack into it because there's thousands or millions of copies and lots of different computers there's no central way to hack it and there's a bunch of neat use cases that you know we see and I, I I'll, I'm throwing a lot at you right now so I excuse the excuse the word salad but uh, I'll say this you know I'm a Republican. take it away run nom- with it yeah, go ahead. listen I'm a Republican nominee but uh, I modeled you know this May general blockchain is cool go use it guidance right go forth and conquer there's a new technology. Go forth and experiment. And modeled that after what I consider to be the single best uh, economic policy that has occurred in my lifetime out of DC. And again, this is just my opinion, but I think the best thing was 1997 Clinton Gore principles for the internet. They posted on Whitehouse.gov in 1997. Uh, whitehouse.gov itself was only two and a half years old at that point. And they were very broad and super pro free enterprise. Number one, the, the private sector shall lead. Uh, The third one, incidentally, was about no new taxes on it, which is why you and me didn't have to pay a local sales tax on our e-commerce for the first 20 years of of, (laughs) Amazon or what have you. But it was very much a signal from the top down from the White House. It wasn't even a law. It was just principles. From the top down, that's useful. It was the best kind of guidance, which is early guidance. And it said, you know, to, to whom it may concern, we want to let this new thing blossom. And you know what happened. America won the Internet. We got the most headquarters, the most jobs, the most investment, the highest investment returns, uh, the most life changing jobs and what have you. And I think we can do the same with uh, this new crypto slash blockchain industry, provided we have the right sort of regulatory clarity.
0: I I really think that credit unions and, and, and sometimes either the board or the executives and I'm gonna stereotype that sometimes they're a little bit older and more conservative. Uh, I, I think that's probably a fair uh, analysis. Sometimes they get worried about the the, the early stages of crypto, which has been dominated. The news is all about the speculators and the people yep. who are buying, selling. But that's not, what, yep. that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the speculator uh, of buying an asset and hoping to flip it. And then you go to the Cayman Islands and live tax free (laughs) there. There's so much beyond that. And and with regards to payment services, transfers of money. And I think one of the untapped marketplaces will be in the sharing information. Uh, I, I you know what I'll give you the quick example. Uh, uh, the participations, dealing with loan participations and loan securities and payments is a nightmare. Blockchain perfect, uh, uh, and implemented yep. would be a great use for that, for us to share information in our world. And, and I think, yeah, people really need to look at it for the what it is and what it can do and not. Oh, look at the price of Bitcoin today, and see totally. that's why we shouldn't be involved.
1: Totally. Uh, first of all, you know, regarding, you know, buying an asset, having it appreciate, flip it, and going to retire in the Caymans. If you know a way to do that, let me know <laughs> because I'm on board for that. But you're absolutely right. You know, and I get it. Uh, that's the shiny thing people hear about. Uh, you watch CNBC now, and it will have the Dow Jones, the S P 500, and then the Bitcoin price, right? And that's cool if people want to do it. I'm not in the business of giving investment advice, neither is NCUA. That said, our guidance does allow people to partner with, say, a crypto exchange, uh, and people can buy and sell Bitcoin, you know, via their credit union app. Uh, These are transactions they could do anyway. The only difference is they get to do it via their trusted financial provider, which most people say they prefer to do, you know, rather than buy Bitcoin with some app you downloaded five minutes ago. Uh, And the credit union gets a source of non-induced income. So I just, I feel compelled to say that and given the downturn in that shiny object you know the crypto winter we had this year you know bitcoin fell out all the other cryptos fell personally i think that's healthy i mean you know i feel bad for somebody who lost money but bear markets serve a purpose you know very similar you know my dad was the national park service so, uh to me the analogy is always naturally occurring forest fires they actually yes. serve a purpose in nature right they clear out the brush they're supposed to happen that's what bear markets do and it wrung out a lot of bad actors uh, it could be fraud, bear markets, fine. You know That's how Bernie Madoff came about, et cetera. Uh, or just business models that don't really work or are unstable or bad management. Bear markets are useful. They are the forest fires that call the underbrush. So I'm kind of happy in a way that happened just because I think it's healthy uh, to move forward with stable management and stable business models. But yes, I agree with you. Uh, crypto, the shiny object gets a lot of attention. You remember the first dot com boom. And, Absolutely. You know, all those crazy business models and everything, and the Netscape IPO and all that stuff, and then there was a crash, right? And if you didn't know any better, you'd say, wow, well, all right, that that internet thing's a fad," you know? And yeah, there was a huge market crash, and that's that's what happens. Uh, investment bubbles happen; they always will. But this new thing back then called the World Wide Web, that was not a fad. It changed all of our lives, and it certainly changed credit unions. And uh, just a side note, do you think the pandemic and our reactions to it would have been different in a pre-internet era?
0: Oh, a- absolutely! It w- we we would have been uh, forced to go to the office. We would have we we would have had no choice uh, if we yeah. didn't have the internet. Yeah, right internet. or wrong,
1: right? Better yeah. or worse, in a world of landlines. That you know, when I was a kid, landlines only. No internet, no Netflix to watch, uh, no online grocery delivery, no Zoom. Uh, it, you know, it definitely would have been different. But so who knows if that virus had come around in 1990? I think it would have been an interesting experiment to see what would happen. Um, but yeah, back to that. I mean, you know, uh, the the dot com stocks. Like a lot of people, first hearing of the internet was, you know, trying to get rich buying the right IPO back in you know 97, 98, 99, 2000. That was a lot of people's first experience, the same way as you said. Their first experience is hearing about so-and-so bought Bitcoin or lost money or ether or what have you. That's their first experience, and I get it. That's what makes the noise. Uh, uh, That's what makes the news. That's what makes the noise. But credit unions didn't avail themselves of the internet by buying dot com stocks and making money. It changed how they do business. And I love your example of loan participations, right? if I have a loan and you get 10% of it, you don't, you shouldn't have to wonder whether I got paid by the borrower. And then if I have, when I'm gonna kick you your 10%. All of this can be transparent and automatic and programmable. You never have to say, hey Kyle, did the borrower pay? I could sure use my piece of the uh, the payment. You know, this is not a problem that has to happen with modern technology like blockchain. So. I think that's a neat use case. It's not for me to say, you know, what anybody should or shouldn't do. If they want to let somebody else experiment first, go right ahead, but identification, you know, you know, we, you know what a big deal KYC, AML is. Uh, There's a number of use cases, title. I still find it weird how expensive it is to get title insurance Mm -hmm. in America in this century, (laughs) how much I have to pay to prove that the property that I bought from you, you actually could sell to me, you know, Uh, there's a number of use cases and probably a whole bunch that I can't think of at least right now but I think it will be neat to see
0: I I really think as the years go on that payment piece will be solved and the industry will will have its VHS versus Betamax moment where we all decide how it's going to work and then more importantly the operations will be extremely enhanced where we could cut down on a lot of software costs and technology just because it, it is all out there on an open source platform or even you know, p- kind of a private distributed network for for people to communicate. So yeah, it, it's gonna it, it's new, it's gonna be an interesting to watch. And, and I'm really glad the NCUA isn't just clamping it down saying no and you're working to keep credit unions relevant
1: today. So if, uh, I think we're taking a lower risk path by yes. allowing experimentation. What would it have been like in 1997, let's say, if there was concern about using this new technology called the internet? Because, you know, all the regs, when it says, you know, you have to send a tax form every year to your member, you have to give them statements. Well, that used to mean with a paper envelope, and if people had to worry, said, so wait a second, uh, if the member wants to and opts in, can we get them their statements without having to kill trees? You know, can they get their 1099s every year without, you know, it's the same thing credit unions are always doing, giving tax form, giving statements, making payments, taking deposits, making loans, same stuff that financial institutions have done for thousands of years. The internet change, just changed how we do all these things.
0: In the, mid ni- in the mid-90s, yeah. I remember where I worked for a technology company and we worked with banks and I had to tell a bank president that the person who used our system needed connected to the Internet. And they said, if I connect this person to the Internet, everybody's going to be expected to be connected to the Internet. And this was barely 25 years ago when... And 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 that was the mindset. And today, you can't imagine if you if you told a college grad, well, you don't get connected to the internet, you know, they they might go into panic mode and and, and need to go to therapy over that. So it, it's just assumed today.
1: So when the internet goes out at a lot of workplaces, people literally get up and leave and go home. <laughs> That's how important it is. Yeah. So. And. What if they're, you know, it's not for me to say what technology somebody should use or what vendor or what have you. It is my responsibility that when we hold credit union management responsible, we can't hold them responsible unless they have reasonable wherewithal to do what they think is best for their members. And there's going to be experiments. And some are going to work and some aren't. Uh, It's my responsibility to make sure that we are not being like a regulator in 1997 that made that would have in that scenario made credit unions gun shy about, you know, can they check your balance on the internet? Can you pay your bills that way? Yes. You know, can we send a statement that way or do we have to use paper, even though neither the credit union nor the member wants to do that? Uh, Credit unions would have gotten destroyed uh, if there had been even a few years late regulatory clarity on that. I think we agree on that. Absolutely. Before
0: we wrap up here, I wanted to just, you know, will throw it out there to you. You have a fixed term at the NCUA. What are those priorities or, or what are you working on for the future uh, at the NCUA?
1: Yeah, I came in with three priorities. And obviously, you know, events dictate things. Uh, when I first got a call about this in 2019, I didn't know we were going to have a pandemic. <laughs> but the three I came in with, um, one, we talked about blockchain, crypto, and just making sure credit unions don't become blockbuster video because their regulator wouldn't let them compete. Second one is the de novo process. I think we talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion issues at this agency, like a lot of agencies do. And i don't think we should talk about it unless we are making it as easy and clear as possible to start a new sustainable credit union credit unions were the original answer to financial inclusion right a group of people with a common bond were not satisfied with their current financial service offerings and decided to start their others it could be factory workers or a church group or a mosque or what have you or a native american tribe or whatever if we make it any harder, one form longer, one minute longer, a little bit uh, any more unclear than it has to be, that I don't think we're living up to ideals. And I, uh, I've been very pleased with the way everybody's rallied around that at NCUA. We have a uh, revamped chartering guide. I think it's also a lot more clear on our website. We actually look like an organization that's interested in chartering new credit unions. And also very important, as you know, to make it clear, well, what you do if you want a federal charter, you go down this road. But what if you just want NCAA insurance, and you want a state charter? That should also be very clear so you don't duplicate efforts. So that's a priority and that's something ongoing. The third one, for lack of a better term, I'm gonna call customer service or let's call it transparency and accountability, uh, which is just bringing some things that you and I and all your listeners, and congratulations on 1500 by the way, uh, you and I and all your listeners are used to from the private sector. Uh, for a federal charter, when you have your exit interview you know after your exam, and they explain their findings, uh, you are allowed, uh, encouraged, and expected to record that. Uh, that applies to about 3,000 out of 5,000 credit unions that are federal charters. If you're state charter, then you know, take it up with your state regulator. But this is normal. You know how uh, credit unions themselves record conversations with their members. It's very useful. And I think it just it helps with our memories. Uh, I don't think either one of us could write down right now the first 10 words I said on this podcast, and we're not even done with it yet. Imagine eight months from now, trying to remember exactly what was said in your exam. Yes, uh, and now imagine you had a new CEO at the credit union and a new examiner for that matter. Neither one of whom were around last time. So we live in an era, you know, uh, even when you call my local government in District of Columbia, which is, you know, I don't think anybody's idea of super enlightened governance. Uh, when you call the department of what have you, this calls monitor for quality assurance. Same with American Airlines, same so as anywhere else. Actually, it was one thing that was the silver lining uh, of the p- pandemic because we did virtual exams. And you know how easy it is to record when you use Zoom or Teams, you know, you hit a button and then both parties have to get a copy. And when you record on Zoom or Teams and you hang up, You get an email, here's the file, and then, you know, NCUA has both. So we want to encourage that. We think it's just flat-out useful. It eliminates arguments. Uh, We had a credit union that appealed all the way to the board, something that was decided by their examiner. And they got denied when they appealed to the supervisor and then to their region, and then they decided to take it all the way to the board. And they wound up prevailing. Uh, only because they recorded, and then there's transcripts. Uh, all those services will make transcripts for you. Now they can be a little janky, uh, especially if you yes. speak too fast, like I do. But it's something. And it w- it wasn't that there was any smoking gun. Actually, I think everyone involved behaved pretty professionally. The the topic at hand was was kind of a judgment call. It could have gone either way. So you know there there was no you know gotcha or anything. But we had a fairer, better process. Because we didn't have to dispute what occurred. We only had to talk about, you know, was it the right decision? Uh, so there's that. And then also our Uber-style uh, automatic feedback after exams. We had a pilot program. Uh, I'm sure you and all your listeners are used are used to it. If you ever use Uber or Lyft or DoorDash or any of those services, uh, immediately there's a rating. As a matter of fact, they often don't let you use it again until you rate the last guy. Uh, And we're all familiar with checking out of a hotel and you're not even home yet before you get the email that says, how was your stay at the Marriott, you know, in Milwaukee? Uh, The fact that we're doing that, I think, signals that we care about feedback, eliminating miscommunications. And our staff has been great at that, again, partially because they all use these things in their personal lives. You know, uh, when you get that message that says, uh, you know, was everything put in writing? Yes, no. uh, That signals a priority. So it's not even necessarily you catch anything bizarre on these, although that's useful. But just like with Marriott, uh, the the point isn't necessarily what their guest replies to the survey. The point is everybody knows you're going to get that survey when they're dealing with you. They know you're going to get that within a few hours of checkout and everybody behaves accordingly and you know Marriott cares. So you're more likely to speak to them. You know, they care. And when I worked on Capitol Hill, it drove me crazy how rarely monopoly federal agencies did any of these things uh even though i think they're basic transparent quality customer service and again i'm aware that credit unions are not customers i had lunch with a journalist financial journalist recently someone you might know and i use the term just because i don't necessarily know of a better one besides customer service and i was well you know they're not your customers I said, yeah you're right customers can leave <laughs> we as a monopoly service provider I think have even greater obligation you know Marriott doesn't owe me anything if I don't want to go back to if they did do a poor job I don't go back to them but as a monopoly service provider where you can't really go elsewhere I think we have an obligation uh, to avail ourselves of this sort of transparency for our sake and for the hundred forty million credit union members uh, they're the ones that pay the bill so I think we have a obligation so that was a lot there man on my priorities but I just wanted to get it all in there
0: great well, I I, I got to tell you before we wrap up, uh, I, I am the CEO of a business lending QSO, and there is no better example of what a great job the NCUA has done with than business lending. They've helped us grow. They've helped us be relevant, and they've really become a partner and expanded with us and and upped your expertise internally with us. And, and, and as a result, a lot of credit unions are successful in business lending now, where uh, you know, even 15 years ago, they really struggled. And, and the NCUA struggled in some of those areas as well, but it, it has gone great. So thank you for joining us. Thank you to my guest today, NCUA Vice Chair, Kyle Hauptman. Really appreciate what you do for us and uh, I hope you can uh, you can join us again in the future as, as events change. Thank you.
1: And I hope we run into each other to, on the conference circuit somewhere,
0: okay? Absolutely. So I am Mark Ritter of Credit Union Conversations and the CEO of MBFS and New Direction Lending. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markritter.com for more information.